Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Francis Zelazny, co-founder and CEO of Anonabit, where NextGen Venture Partners is a proud investor. Anonabit keeps biometric information secure. So that fingerprint that unlocks your phone, Anonabit can help prevent that from being hacked. Francis and I talk about the state of the biometrics industry and the very big vision Anonabit has to secure personal information against hacking. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Francis, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start at the highest level of biometrics and what it is. I think when people hear the word, they think about the fingerprint they put into their phone or maybe the fingerprint in law enforcement or maybe something science fiction-y like Minority Report. But share with us what it's like at the industry level. What's the current state of affairs in biometrics? What are some of the most common use cases today? Yeah, so biometrics is exactly what you said. These are the computerized representations of your uh, physical um, and behavioral uh, attributes. Things like your face, your fingerprint, your iris, the way you walk, the way you type. These are all measurable characteristics that can be used to identify you. And we see biometrics in every aspect of our lives today, pretty much. Um, Every time you log into your phone with your face, that's using facial recognition when you are entering the country and and there's a kiosk that asks you to put your your fingerprints down, frequent traveler programs, payments we see with with biometric, there are biometric credit cards, there's uh, access control. So we we see biometrics enabled in many, many uh, aspects of things that we do. And from an industry perspective, we're seeing now how these technologies are used to really drive a lot of our digital interactions. So using biometrics to authenticate yourself when you enter a bank account or uh, when you apply for, for an account online and you have to verify your identity. So there are many, many different aspects and biometrics today are, are getting to be more and more mainstream. We are talking in early January, 2022. Happy New Year. When did you first get into the biometric space and what's changed between now and then? <laughs> You're really trying to age me here. I wouldn't do any such thing. <laughs> well, I got into the space um, more than 20 years ago. It was May 1999 when nobody knew what facial recognition was. That's when I got involved in this industry. And that's uh, been quite a, quite a journey. But one thing actually has not changed, and that is the concern and the understanding that biometrics are a very sensitive form of personal information, and that requires responsible use around the collection, the usage, the sharing, and now the storage. And that's really what Anonabit um, is focused on, is the security of the biometric information that is now being used in so many different ways. How did you end up as the CEO of Anonabit? As I mentioned, I've been in the biometrics industry for quite some time, and I held many different roles, but they were all market-facing roles. And I found myself really having to 
explain and defend the use of these technologies with privacy advocates. And along the way, I recognized that there were legitimate concerns. And there are two concerns. One had to do with the collection and consent and usage of the data. And there were a lot, a lot of my work in the early days had to do with promoting responsible use guidelines and regulations and, and legislation, honestly, that we're just recently seeing proliferate. And the second aspect that was always a concern was what happens if, God forbid, your biometric was stolen? How do you prevent that from happening? And so these were questions that I had worked on for many, many, many years. And that led me, even though I I had been involved with many aspects of of biometrics in the developing world, in the finance, private sector, with government, these two big issues were always in the front of my mind. two that I felt very passionate about. And that led me to eventually to Anonymous, where our team found a breakthrough solution for really solving this very critical problem. Well, the tech geek in me always loves it when there is a technology innovation that is a solution for a legal or political challenge. So what does Anonymous do? So what we do is we make personal data unhackable. We have a decentralized biometrics infrastructure, which we call the decentralized uh, biometrics cloud. And on this infrastructure, we distribute biometric data and digital assets. We break them up and decentralize them in a way that there is nothing for a hacker to find and nothing for a hacker to steal, but that information could still be used to secure your access into your account. So we're protecting who has access into an account while we're also ensuring that the data and the information in that account is not accessible to somebody, even if they did somehow hack into a system and get in. So we're, we're reducing the risk on both sides. You use the word decentralized a couple of times there. I think many people's mind will jump to blockchain. We're not talking about a blockchain-based technology here, but I'm curious if there are any challenges that are introduced by that potential confusion? So let's take a step back and just talk about, it's it's actually an opportunity because the non-abit is very complementary to many blockchain applications. And uh, blockchain in the world of biometrics has a couple of limitations. Uh, One is that the processing of the data cannot happen on the blockchain. And so blockchain was not a solution for us uh, trying to tackle this problem. We had to figure out how to decentralize both the storage and the matching function of the biometric. And so to do that, we're leveraging another decentralization technique called uh, multi-party computing, and then as more of a security technique called zero-knowledge proofs, and the combination of the two of them are allowing us to do what, what we do. So blockchain was actually not an option for us. So I already mentioned because you cannot do the processing on the blockchain, you would have to If you did store the information, you'd have to bring it back out in order to do the matching, which causes a lot of other security vulnerabilities. It probably would take too long and it's too expensive and there would be other accuracy issues. So that's not applicable to us. But what blockchain applications do have that is applicable to us is a weakness in terms of where to store the private key. So if you have verifiable credentials or you have cryptocurrencies or NFTs, at the end of the day, it all boils down to where is that private key? What happens if it's lost? 
And so actually one of the products that we built on top of our infrastructure enables the decentralized storage of these digital assets. And then we apply the biometric in order to make sure that only the right person actually has access to it. So at the end of the day, most people in the identity space understand that this is not blockchain. Another thing that I didn't say is that you can't delete on the blockchain, which by law is a requirement. So most people that are managing identity understand that this would not be applicable on the blockchain, but do appreciate that there are a lot of complementary applications and use cases for infrastructure in the world of blockchain. And so if if I understood what you just said correctly, your technology could eliminate the problem of someone losing their key, their chain of numbers that gives them access to their digital wallet. So you don't have stories like someone trying to dig up a dump to find the piece of paper that they wrote their key on. Instead, you could use a fingerprint or a retinal scan or something like that. Yeah. So I guess you saw the article the other day. Exactly. Well, that could be very good news for a whole lot of crypto millionaires, all the crypto billionaires out there. Francis, talk to us about some of the benefits. So I could imagine those existing in new functionality or new things you can do in the world with biometrics that would be otherwise impossible. I could also imagine it being in the category of things that you always could have done with biometrics, but because of these security fears, because of these privacy fears, people didn't want to implement biometrics. And so you're unleashing new applications in that way. But share with us a couple of the use cases that are most exciting to you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are very few use cases and applications today where we do not have to identify ourselves. And today, because of the complexity and sensitivity around biometrics, we oftentimes make trade-offs. And the trade-off becomes, if I'm an enterprise, the trade-off becomes, do I manage all of this information myself and then I'm responsible for the security of it? Or do I rely on built-in biometrics like on the face ID or the touch ID on the phone that can be easily circumvented by an attacker? So these are the trade-offs that happen. And in fact, Gartner put out a report at the beginning of last year, I believe it was. It was a staggering number. It was something like, if I'm quoting them correctly, like 60% of, of enterprises or implementations of biometrics will fail because of systemic risks that haven't been addressed. And that is what scares people. And so what Anonymous does is it takes away all of the risks associated with storing and managing the biometric data, and it inserts the ability to more securely manage interactions. So think about like zero trust today right? In order for enterprises to really implement zero trust, identity management needs to be at the core. Well, if you start adding in biometrics into that as a company, you're now taking on a lot more responsibility on this very sensitive data that you have to manage. So zero trust is one emerging trend. The whole world of cryptocurrency and NFT are seeing explosive growth, as as we know. And there are enormous, besides the private key, there are enormous challenges managing identity there. If you're like the city of Miami and you're going to start doing distribution of dividends or whatever, you know, in cryptocurrency, how do you know that an attacker is not claiming somebody's retirement money? So there are tons of use cases in that world. We see many use cases in banking, fintech payments over and over and over again. We open an account, we 
do onboarding right with our driver's license. The bank tells me, okay, great, I can open an account. And what do I do? I create a username and password. And that becomes what I use in order to access my account. So all an attacker has to do is call the call center and say, I'm Francis and I can't get into the account. And when they get asked my mother's maiden name, they already have it because they bought it on the dark web for five cents. So the possibilities are enormous. Really, anywhere where we want to secure our data, our assets, and we rely on identity management, we need to secure the biometric because that's the core of how you do that validation. Francis, as you were talking, you chuckled a little bit when you talked about username and password as (laughs) a methodology for protecting privacy. Is that a sort of a consensus view, in your view at least, in the information security world, in the biometrics world, that password is old school, we need something new, we need something better? I don't think anybody would argue that passwords are not secure. But there are a couple of issues. One, is they're ubiquitous, so they're convenient, people know and understand them. So at the mass level, it's like, okay, I know what I need to do. Secondly, is that all of the many legacy applications rely, obviously, on username and password. And so getting rid of that becomes a really big challenge. And actually, we see this as an opportunity also within Anonibit because we could use our digital asset vault to store master passwords, for example, and link that into legacy applications. So that would be like an easier way to get past the world of passwords. The reason that I chuckle is that the most popular password is password. (laughs) And most people reuse their passwords. And because of that, you see other problems happening, ransomware and all that. Because if I steal your credential from one place and I know that you work at Bank of America, you know, I just do different variations of the password that I stole from somewhere else. And I know that you probably use something like that for work also. And then I penetrate your accounts. So you see ransomware, business email compromise, so on and so forth. Swift SIM swaps, the same thing. These are all derivatives of the original problem, which is, you know, what identifiers are we using, you know, when we present ourselves. So if there's this broad recognition of the challenge associated with passwords, what do you think changes over the next decade? What does the future of this kind of security look like, and especially in the biometric applications? So I think that there definitely is a trend towards passwordless authentication. Um, and that's a very, very clear and hot trend. The only question is, again, like, what is the year that passwords become really obsolete? And I think, quite frankly, it'll take longer than people imagine. Kind of like when credit cards came out, the evangelist said, we're never going to use cash again. And, you know, here we are. So I think it will take longer than we think. But I also think that with the kinds of frameworks, like I was describing before, where a platform like Anonibit could be used to store the password. And so now you could come up with something very, very complicated and then link that into an enterprise application. You're now able to bridge the gap and provide some further security while not completely upending what people uh, essentially are used to. And that might be a stopgap measure for CISOs and CIOs to consider, especially, again, in the context of zero trust and remote work and and so on and so forth. Definitely the use of passwords is very, very dangerous the way they're currently used. Also looking at the 10-year timeframe, what's your hope for Anonibit? What does the company look like when we're chatting again? 
in 2031? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you my vision and my passion and the reason that I, quite frankly, decided to embark on this journey. So my vision is that with our decentralized identity cloud, we eliminate data breaches because there's no more central honeypots. There's nothing for an attacker to find, nothing for an attacker to steal and just kind of like cut that cord. And then as a consequence of that, a world where we as consumers can transact safely online because people know who we are. And we know that when we hand over our information, that it's going to be used for the purpose that it was collected. And it can't just be like transferred around and around and around. That's a really loaded statement because it means that we as consumers are in control over our data, but it also means that the people we are interacting with are securing the data that we give them properly. Every day there's another breach. So we know that that's not happening today. And so then you really, you know, end up with like a true definition of privacy and security because it's misunderstood that these are different aspects. But uh, in 2031, I would love to see us in a world that is much more respectful of user privacy and much more mature in the sense of, of digital security. And I, I think we can get there. Well, that's a big vision for the world, much less a big vision for any one company. And throughout the conversation, Francis, you've used phrases like, can't be breached. And obviously, Next Venture Partners is an investor, and we believe in that vision. But I can imagine a lot of people saying, well, well, really? Can't? How do you persuade someone who doesn't have the relevant PhD that this really works? So it's like anything in the very beginning, right? We have to prove that it works. You know, we have partners, we have customers, we have demos, um, and we're able to, to do that demonstration. The concepts that we have applied to build the infrastructure, the concept of multi-party computing and zero-knowledge proofs are not things that we came up with. Our secret sauce and our innovation is how do we apply that to the world of biometrics? And so people that understand decentralization and understand those techniques understand what we're doing. Uh, But I, I appreciate how hard it is to make it happen in the world of biometrics because biometrics are not straightforward. They're probabilistic technologies. So to really make that work in a way that gives seamless experiences for people is not trivial, but it really begins with the foundation, right? Multi-party computing, zero-knowledge proofs, understanding biometrics, where the industry needs to go, what people are asking for. I mean, everything that I'm talking about is you pretty much can read it in the news every day, right? There was another data breach. Somebody's information was misused. An attacker stole somebody else's identity and so on and so forth. So I think that especially with DeepEye and all of that, these concepts are becoming more mainstream. And it's for us to show how we apply those concepts in our world and, and, and enable security and privacy. Francis, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thank you. This was great. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. 
The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.